Hello, I'm James Batchelor, and you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm joined this week by Paul Bettner, CEO of Playful, a developer of Super Lucky's Tale, Lucky's Tale, and Star Child. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, uh, brilliant to have you on. I, kind of, there's so much we can talk about. I, I, obviously, <laughs> the the Super Lucky's Tale, um, uh, you know, coming up for Xbox One X. That's kind of the big thing you guys are working on right now. Um, I, sure. I, my first question then is like, kind of why. Why bring that to Xbox and why bring that to non-VR? Because originally that was very much kind of the, the Mario for VR is what I saw the original Lucky's Tale as. So what what prompted you to make that a traditional console title? Yeah, so actually <clears throat> our vision for for Lucky uh, and really for all the things that we work on at Playful, um, you know, we love, we're, we're totally drawn to, to amazing new platforms and, and technologies like VR. Um, so, you know, that's, when we saw that opportunity, we had that opportunity with Oculus to bring to bring this character to life in with this new technology. We were all over that. But our vision uh, for for the franchise, and really, like I said, for for all the things we do, is we're just trying to create this kind of beloved IP, this this these these characters and stories that that people you know cherish for kind of their whole lives. If we can do that, I mean, like when I look back over my uh, you know my life as a gamer. Um, I have these 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 games, these uh, these worlds, and these characters that I have literally had a relationship with for like 30 years of my life, you know, <laughs> almost going on 40 years. And we just wanted to do that. So when Microsoft, um, when we started talking to them about this opportunity, and they kind of shared this vision with us of like, hey, you know, we don't really have something like this on Xbox, and and for Xbox and Windows gamers. Uh, so, so maybe Lucky can be that for, for you know, for Microsoft platforms, and we completely fell in love with that vision because it was it was totally aligned with what we were trying to do in the first place, which is really just get Lucky, a, a character that we've created, into the hearts and minds of as many people as possible. Okay, yeah, I guess because there's not really, I, I guess it's it's kind of almost catch twenty two. There's not many family style games or the, or those kind of cutesy style platformers on the Xbox because there's not an audience for them. But is there not an audience for them because those games aren't there? You know? Yeah, exactly. It's a chicken and egg thing. And <clears throat> you know, over the years, you can see Microsoft is. I, I mean, just from my perspective as uh, as a consumer on on Xbox, they've done several things uh, over the years to create some some pretty great family friendly entertainment, but just not a ton of that stuff. Um, and they're obviously more well known for uh, for you know games that are things like Gears of War, or Halo. Um, but I think that Microsoft internally uh, has always had this desire um, to reach that audience um, and to uh, to have Xbox also be a family platform. So um, you know, so so when we got a sense for that from talking to them, and I've I've been working with Microsoft for for a, literally a couple decades now because my first my first job in in the industry was was working on the Age of Empires games, and we sold that studio. To Microsoft, you know, uh, back in 2004, I think. Um, so I've been working with them for, for many decades, and and they've always had this uh, this desire to to reach that audience more. So you know, when they when they kind of were sharing that vision with us, I, I was a believer. Um, and now here we are, and and you know, uh, actually, Super Lucky Still is the only game that's launching on the same day as the Xbox One X, as it turns out. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing to have you know we just started working on this with them right after we shipped Lucky's Tale One so um, it's really only been about sixteen months or so um, 
And, uh, and here we are shipping a game alongside the new Xbox, which is kind of the dream come true. I guess you were quietly, not pleased, but kind of, uh, it works in your favor that things like Crackdown <laughs> got delayed, I guess. Yeah, I'm not definitely not pleased because no, because you know, it's always it's always actually better when uh, when there's more great software to drive. It's kind of like this the rising tides uh, analogy, um, but uh, but it's okay. You know, th- th- of course it happens, and those games will be better for it. So. Um. I guess, as you say, like Microsoft have been trying to get that family audience for a while now, but they they always go they, they've so far gone with the the connect route. Um, so the, yeah, the yeah. all the old connect games, and even those like said so, like some of those games have come out. I think it was it, it's this week have come out. You know, time of recording this week. Things like Disneyland Adventures and Pixar yeah. Rush, like old connect games, but redone for traditional controls in an attempt yeah. to kind of bring that audience in. Yeah, that's what I've seen too. I haven't played those games yet, but um, but Microsoft actually has several uh, several games launching up kind of for this audience alongside Super Lucky's Tale. Mm. But I mean, does it make it challenging to to bring a game like Super Lucky's Tale out at a time when, like, obviously you've got Nintendo is is resurgent this year? Like, you know, we've we've got Super Mario Odyssey is obviously doing gangbusters at the moment. Um, so why are people going to fork out for a, a hefty Xbox One X and Super Lucky's Tale when they can buy a Switch and Mario Odyssey? Like, <laughs> it's, it's it's a great question, and X and uh, and Super Mario Odyssey is is dominating my life too right now. So. <laughs> It is such a brilliant game, and 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 obviously, like <clears throat> as a studio that's working on a game in this genre, uh, you can imagine that every every single person at the studio, uh, especially the the team working on Super Lucky's Tale, is they're the biggest fans ever of of what Nintendo has done with the Mario franchise, and and really all these classic platformers that we grew up with. So, um, you know, it's in in our minds, it's not an either or thing. Uh, like we we understand that there's a giant audience of uh, Xbox gamers and Windows gamers who don't have Nintendo platforms uh, and are looking for this kind of entertainment. So, so yeah, they they can go buy a Nintendo Switch and buy Mario Odyssey, and by all means, they should do that because it is a phenomenal game. <laughs> but but they they can get something new and unique and different now uh, with Lucky's Tale. And I think when when folks get to play, it, in fact, the reviewers are playing it right now, so we'll get to start seeing some of those impressions coming out. Uh, and of course. The most important, which is the impressions from our players on November seventh, um, I think that what we're going to see is it's it's a different kind of experience. It's it's more um, it's more weighted towards story and character uh, and kind of this sense of adventure and exploration in the world. Mario Odyssey, which is again such a brilliant game, is it, uh, one one of the things I love about it is it's kind of the sandbox um, type of experience and. It, that comes with some trade-offs because, like, for instance, my I have a, a seven-year-old and he loves playing these games, but he can't really play Mario Odyssey. He can play some of the other Mario games, like 3D Mario World, but Mario Odyssey, with the with the way the camera functions, um, it's it kind of brings it into a slightly more complex and older realm. Um, but he can play Lucky just fine uh, because we've aimed for for a you know a simpler control scheme and and more automatic kind of camera that stays in one place for the most part. Um, so, you know, it, it has it has a different set of trade-offs, but but the but the main thing is that um, you know there's a lot of Xbox gamers and Windows gamers this holiday uh, who won't necessarily have a Nintendo Switch, but now can get this this kind of wonderful genre uh, in their own homes. 
So what's what's changed for Super Lucky's Tale like in terms of the camera, in terms of the controls, in terms of the actual structure of it? Like, had, has freeing up the the VR kind of allowed you to make a more traditional platform experience? I ask because I, I I was lucky enough to try Lucky's Tale a couple of years back at GDC. Um, yeah. And initially, I have to be honest, I was quite skeptical as to like, well, why do I need to be in <laughs> VR for a three D yeah. platformer? But you do kind of lose yourself in just being in this kind of like surrounded by the level and seeing all these platforms kind of floating in front of you and just being fully immersed in that world. Yep. I think it's the only third, I genuinely think it's the only third person VR game I've played that works. Um, so, but, but obviously without the headset, you're now making a, a more traditional screen brace property. I mean, what's changed? Is it still that kind of fixed camera? Yeah, so there, well, there's a couple of things to to mention, but but re- regarding the fixed camera, so well, the first thing is, you know, just for 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 people's awareness, Super Lucky's Tale is a full sequel. So there's been a little bit of, of debate or misunderstanding about this within, you know, on Reddit and some other places, but uh, but Super Lucky's Tale isn't a port of Lucky's Tale. It's a, it's an entirely new game from from the ground up. It obviously you know uh, focuses on the same character, but it introduces a whole other cast of characters that weren't in Lucky's Tale and it, and all the worlds and levels and, and everything else are completely new. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> there's this thing that that we did, as you called out, in Lucky's Tale uh, 1 for VR, which was out of necessity, really, uh, where, where the camera needed to always be in a certain fixed location behind Lucky. Uh, so because rotating the camera in VR is very uncomfortable, uh, so we designed all of our levels and the experience around this idea that 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 we had to make room in the levels for your head, basically, <laughs> because it was it was floating along there behind Lucky. Uh, and so that that taught our team this design language of of you know, okay, well, we can't solve these these challenges of like, well, we want to give the player this sense of freedom and the sense that they can explore and these other things. We can't solve that by by allowing the player to rotate the camera around and run wherever they want from any angle. So we have to find other ways to to give us that sense of exploration and adventure. Uh, and and the team, you know, for the couple of years we're working on Lucky Style One, they, they spent all their time on that. That stuff carried forward directly into Super Lucky Style and. So that's some of the like kind of related to what I was talking about earlier. The the fact that that we still have a, a fixed camera, you can rotate it a, a little bit in Super Lucky's Tale, but actually the rotation is more like the kind of rotation you can do with your head when you're in VR. So it's kind of like you can look 30 degrees to the to the right or the left, basically. Um, but but otherwise, the camera mostly stays in one place and follows the character along. Uh, and then we do all these things in the in the design of the levels to allow for that sense of freedom and ex- and exploration kind of back and forth and, and 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 you know we have these levels that are more open and um, and freeform uh, and yet do not require the rotation of the camera. So that work that we did in the VR version directly contributed to to the level design uh, kind of formula for Super Lucky Still also. One of the other things that uh, interested me after the E3 reveal was not just that it's not a VR game anymore, but it's that it, it's Xbox One X enhanced. Now, I 
I can understand that with like the 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 massive AAA games, the you know the Shadow of War, the Assassin's Creed, because these HD graphics, like you know, they can look even sharper or even more realistic. But with something like Super Lucky's Tale, you kind of assume that the the art style negates the need for 4K and teraflops and all this all this uh, hard yeah you know, like hardware power. I mean, yeah. what does it genuinely? What does it bring to the experience? Like, what does it actually do for for a game like Super Lucky's Tale? I think it makes it probably the most beautiful platformer uh, that's been created yet. I mean, that's I, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, but just speaking of what the hardware allows us to do, um, we can take advantage of of kind of the highest end features available in these, you know, in, in rendering technology. Uh, and in our case, we use those things in an interesting way. So, you know, you'd look at a game like Gears of War, and you'd see this really detailed textures and and high fidelity materials. Uh, and actually, we're using those same things in in Super Lucky's Tale, but we're using them for a very different purpose. We're using them to get a look of realistic materials, you know. So, so, but our materials are different. They're things like clay and wood and sand and grass and you know these other things. And we and we obviously have a more stylized approach to it. But but the end result though is that it is kind of this. It almost looks like this Pixar movie when you're when you're playing it. It come to life because seeing that style that sort of more cartoony style but rendered to that quality level um and you know with that kind of draw distance and and all the other things that you get with with the immense power of that box um it it does actually and i'm not saying this from my perspective i mean for the folks who have who've experienced it uh when they've played it at all these various shows like e3 that we showed the game off in paris paris games week recently the the response is the same which is Man, that is a really, really beautiful platforming game, uh, and uh, that's that's that is what we're getting out of it. Even though, like you said, it would seem like like this particular style wouldn't wouldn't benefit as much, um, but I think it does actually. I think that there's there's still tremendous advances that can be made in stylistic rendering um, for for games that are kind of Pixar like have have that kind of look. Um, and and you know you're going to see I think a continuation of that, and it's just going to feel like I mean. There's that holy grail of it literally does look like a Pixar movie come to life. Um, that that's still actually something that we can all strive for. So, do you think we're going to see a lot more kind of colourful, cutesy games coming to Xbox One X? Because again, the 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 console itself seems to be pitched at that hardcore player with the 4K Ultra, you know, Ultra HD TV who only likes playing Call of Duty and Shadow of War and so forth. Like, is, is there going to be an audience on the X for more games like Super Lucky's Tale? Do you think? I think so because what's happening is those that audience that you're talking about um, who grew up on Xbox and did grow up with Halo and Gears of War, those those folks are getting a, a little older now, honestly. And of course, there's a new generation coming up as well. But but the folks that are like that core of the Xbox demographic and and, and the fan base, um, they're a little bit older and they're starting to have kids. And we hear this thing a lot when we talk to folks about about super lucky's tale coming to xbox is that is that they're they're saying well that this is a game i can i can finally share with my kids on my xbox so of course they're still buying an xbox to play some of those those their favorite franchises as you mentioned the call of duties the gears of war the halos but now they're saying yeah but actually i want this game too because i can share it with my family and that that's starting to become more important to that to that group of gamers who who would you know be the ones purchasing an xbox and 
if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Because <clears throat> the Xbox is the Xbox One X is at the higher end of Microsoft's lineup, and it's targeting you know a 4K TV with HDR and all these other things. So, so that's going to tend to be somebody that's perhaps a little bit later in their life and has a career and is able to afford these things, <laughs> you know, what have you. Uh, and so it kind of fits that that they would be looking for um, you know games across the spectrum, not just in this one you know, in the one particular hardcore, more hardcore genre. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, of course, it remains to be seen. We'll, we'll see how, how we do this holiday. But but initial, like I said, initial indications are very positive because uh, because that message of, hey, you have an Xbox because you want to play Gears of War on it. But also, here's this other game that, that the, for this Xbox you already spent money on, you can now share with your family, that that's actually quite appealing to that audience. So... I guess it finally, so. finally gives parents, um, Xbox-owning parents, an, an alternative to the Lego games in terms of something to play with their kids. <laughs> that, that's actually that's actually a really big part of this, at least for me. And when I try to put my mind in, in or put my head in the mind of a of an Xbox consumer, because they are there's been a lot of those traditional franchises for kids that have come out, Disney games, the Lego games, um, but not a ton of original IP for this type of audience mm. uh, so and I think that's why there's there's been been this response that we've had and you've seen Microsoft uh, just continue to step up the the kind of a, awareness and presence for super lucky sales we get closer to launch um, is because that that is resonating with people as it turns out like so I mean just as a little little story when we were going to e3 right so you mentioned this us debuting the game there I was really nervous, to be honest, and I think probably a couple, several people in the studio were, because we knew just what you're saying. We knew we were coming into this pretty hardcore gaming conference, you know, biggest kind of game industry event uh, of the year, and we knew the kind of audience that typically goes to E3, which, I mean, they're all like super hardcore gamers, like 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 I am, like we are. They they're you know they they love their games and they love you know they're they're very they're very into it. And and then we were going along with this brand with Xbox and Microsoft that was known for a certain type of game. So there were all these things aligned against against uh, this game that we're about to debut, or at least things that made me nervous about it. Right? Like I I didn't know whether we were just going to get made horrible fun of <laughs> basically for for trying for even attempting to bring this this game that was was cute and adorable uh, into this into this industry conference full of these other types of games and <clears throat> and onto the Xbox uh, with with an audience that's known for loving games like Call of Duty, Gears of War, Halo. And that show shocked us and shocked Microsoft too because the response was so warm and welcoming with the Xbox community uh, to, to the game, um, especially everyone who played it. So so that just really changed all our minds about it. Or, or I should say it, it, it cemented or validated this original theory that we had this hypothesis that maybe xbox gamers do actually want this even though they've only you know not only but the, but a lot of what they've gotten has been something else maybe they're they're hungry for this maybe they'd love to have this kind of experience uh and and e3 was the first big moment that validated that so and now we've had you know several game shows since then gamescom paris games week it's been the same thing at every one of them so now we need to we need to see how how it does when the game comes out but if if that same effect holds true um then it could turn out like to your question, that there's there's actually a, a a large market for these types of games on Microsoft platforms. Well, I guess the real test is going to be uh, when it launches on November seventh. Um, obviously, the original Lucky's Tale was a, a pack-in with the Oculus. So, 
I guess you guys didn't see any kind of direct sales from it, but this time it's actually kind of in a box with a price tag. I mean, are, are you hoping for decent sales? I am definitely hoping for decent sales. There's, <laughs> there's, there's several things like aligned potentially in favor of that. Um, you know, just in terms of uh, the game is twenty nine ninety nine. It's, it's, it's kind of this game that's made for everyone, right? So it's not targeting a specific niche audience. It's, it's a game that a parent can buy for their kids. It's a game that kids can buy for themselves. And it's a game that nostalgic gamers like myself can look at and say, well, that's still probably something I'm going to enjoy. So I'll check that out. So there's like no limits to the audience that we're, we're reaching. Um, and, and then again, as you pointed out earlier, it's, it's kind of one of only a handful. Well, actually there's quite a few games that are, that are going to be available on the Xbox one X because of its incredible, you know, compatibility with, with previous titles and, and enhancing those titles. Um, but in terms of original new IP, uh, it's one of only a handful of games launching, you know, in this time frame. Uh, and I, I, like, I just walked into Target um, the other day, and they have, you know, their different sections. Like, there's the Xbox section and the, the Nintendo section and the PlayStation section. And at the top of the Xbox section in Target, it, they have this banner. It's just this green color that's like, hey, this is the Xbox section. And they had the, this picture of Lucky there. Uh, kind of headlining that area of the store. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I see stuff like that, and it's like, okay, well, there's a lot of things aligned in our favor. So uh, so now, you know, we, we, we hope people love the game and that respond to it really well, and they tell all their friends about it. Um, and if so, I think it could go on to be quite the hit, but uh, but we shall see. <laughs> well, fingers well and truly crossed for you guys. Um, obviously, well, Lucky, Lucky has, has temporarily kind of abandoned VR, but you guys haven't. You've uh, We've just seen uh, the latest from Star Child at PlayStation's Paris Games Week event. Um, what's the response to that game been like so far? What, what are, What's the noise like around, around Star Child? It's been kind of uh, questioning, which was, uh, to, to be honest, our, our, our intention, at least up till now, was to to create this kind of tantalizing uh, glimpse of this world and this game we're building without giving away too much because so much of what we're creating with Starchild is about the story and the narrative. And it's this delicate balance of wanting to, to begin to get people excited about it, but not give away what the game actually is because it's the kind of game that, that we ultimately want when it releases for people to say something like, you have to go play this game to experience the story. I don't want to ruin it for you. I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> um, and so we're trying to create that kind of experience, which means that in terms of showing people stuff, we, we, we want to hint and we want to get people excited about what this game is, but without giving stuff away. So at Paris Games Week, we debuted this new trailer um, that begins to show who the actual character is, her relationship with her companion in the game, uh, which is that giant robot um, that I won't, <laughs> I won't say more about it. But anyway, you can see it in the trailer and, and also showcases... Uh, a unique power that she has in the game um, and the trailer ends with this tagline take control which kind of hints at what that's about um, and you know so now between now and launch we're going to be showing you know actual moments of gameplay and, and start to, to give people a better sense of what the game actually is but the trailer itself that we debuted at Paris Games Week has been uh, probably one of the most well-received things we've done as a studio for for several years now so I'm I'm really happy with that. It's short and it still leaves a lot of questions, but um, but I think people resonate strongly with the way the character looks and emotes and kind of this really cool power that she has in the world that she exists in. So, yeah. 
that's going to be really <laughs> difficult to do as well. Like, like, like you say, like trying to keep that secret and make sure that the the story and nothing is is spoiled because I get like, you know, like the games industry has almost gotten to the habit of spam the you know, PR channels and and social media with absolutely everything about your game everything your game includes in the hopes of hyping it but I mean you get to the stage where like some of the AAA games release a new trailer every single day in the month before yeah. launch um so yeah I mean I, I th- how do you balance that I think there's an opportunity. Uh, I, I mean, to be honest, it does create some frustration uh, with folks that, that I've seen because they, they're they used to that other thing. So they're used to just seeing everything about the game and then being like, all right, fine, now I'll make my decision based on the fact that I've literally seen every moment of this game before I purchase it. And, of course, once the game releases, we can't do anything to stop that. But but between now and then, I do think we have this opportunity. And, you could, you know, you, you definitely see it in other types of media, in film and TV and other places uh, this opportunity to create that anticipation by um, by bringing people along this journey of like what is this about and kind of learning over time uh, what it might be and then and then kind of anticipating the release um, that's what we're gonna what we hope to do here um, with us and uh, but we are gonna you know th- I think that this trailer that we released is perhaps one of the last times we'll do something that is not gameplay related. I think probably in the future, I mean, I just have to guess, but, and I don't want to give away too much, but, but I think in the future um, there, there are going to be these snippets of gameplay. But even that, I think we, we have this opportunity to show, to very selectively show moments that are really like intriguing, but still you kind of have to be like Sherlock Holmes. You have to put together the pieces of what this might be. And we're not, and we're only showing you the edges of it. So so it becomes this interesting game before the game even releases of, try, of people trying to figure out what the game is. That's that's what that's what I, I'm hoping to to help create because, you know, from my perspective, if if I were on the other side of that and I and I was trying to learn about Star Child myself, that that would be fun and interesting. So mm. that's what we're trying to do. The fact that it's a VR title kind of shows that you you're not giving up on that technology anytime soon. It's it's interesting because at the moment um, there's a lot of debate about VR. Obviously, we've just seen um, CCP have just closed their VR studio, um, and yeah. they were kind of you know E Valkyrie was kind of the poster child for what VR could be for for quite some time. All space has uh, shut down as well. I mean, what's your stance on like like I said, a lot of people are are now predicting or you know VR's kind of kind of take a bit of a backseat for a while as people are still trying to work it out. I mean, what's your, what's your take on, on where VR is going? I think that's somewhat true for us as well. I think in our case, we, we really were um, spared the, the, you know, the effects of that by, by virtue of the fact that we had this vision as a studio and we have from the beginning of not being tied to any particular technology. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, of, the, of our discussion, the, Playful's vision is to build beloved IP and then to find amazing ways to bring that IP to life with with new types of experiences um, and and utilizing new technologies and platforms. But we're not tied to any one of those things. We we only look at them as a means to the end. Like, it, it, can this can this cool new technology give us an opportunity right now to bring this character to life in some really cool new way, or this or tell this story in some really cool new way? And we're always going to be looking to that as a studio. We're always going to be drawn to those opportunities. But they're only ever in service of the higher level goal, which is just, you know, get, as I mentioned, getting our, getting our IP into the hearts and minds of as many people as possible. So when we were doing Lucky Sale originally with Oculus, that was a great way for us to do that and to debut a brand new 
uh, character action game in, in a pretty crowded market that's already been dominated by brands that have been around for, for many decades. And it was a way for us to bring something new to life that could catch people's attention. Um, in the case of Starchild, the opportunity is actually the same. Uh, Starchild is a side-scrolling character action game. So kind of we call it a cinematic platformer. Um, and nobody's ever seen that genre done uh, in, in VR. And when they do see Starchild... It's uh, like for the folks who have experienced it, we've only showed it off at a handful of trade shows, but it's the same. Like I hear the same things when we were first showing Lucky's Tale, like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this genre could work this well in VR. And, and now this is, and I, well, somebody will say like, this is the only way I want to play a, a, a side scroller now is like this <laughs> because it is, it is just, it's truly amazing. Um, but, but again, you know, we it, it's in service of that ultimate goal. Like, can we tell a story in a, in a new way using this medium? And if so, then we're really interested in it. Um, but, but ultimately as a studio, you know, the success of VR, it, it's in my, my view of it is we're on this, this longer term ramp. And I think people, <laughs> they're, they're, we're, we're all a little not used to that because of what happens with like mobile phones these days where there's, you know, a new one every five minutes. And we're used to this super rapid cycle of technology advance um, when it comes to, to that at least. And VR is on a, a slower burn. And I, I think it's always was that way, but, but, you know, the hype cycle gets people a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of thinking about uh, how quickly something is going to take off. My opinion is that, well, and actually, it's not just my opinion. VR continues to grow. Like it, it's not growing as fast as as <laughs> as uh, I think the people who are most excited about it would have hoped for it to. But but there are more he headsets being sold every month than the, than the month before, uh, and there's more investment happening every month into companies that are building stuff for VR, AR, and mixed reality um, on a month by month basis. That investment continues to grow. So. For the people out there who are fans of these technologies, I don't think you need to worry. You can be assured that there are going to be incredible new devices and incredible new content coming in the next several years. Um, but we all just need to be a little bit patient too because we're at the beginning of this of this development, not, not kind of as far advanced as something like mobile phones are. I think the concern is also that that the install base out there is so low for VR. I mean, you know, PlayStation VR is by far and away, according to reports, by far and away the leader. And yet it's yeah. only just reached kind of a million sales. And even then, it had reached 900,000 by, I think it was February early this year. So it's only sold another 100,000 units in the best part of eight months. Like, yeah. that's an incredibly slow growth rate for this technology that a lot of people are hyped up for, a lot of people have invested in. And it must be kind of discouraging to other VR developers thinking, right, there's only a limited audience for this technology. And yeah, I think that's definitely true. You know, I, I did this talk at, um, sorry to interrupt, I, I did this oh. talk at v at VRDC uh, maybe a couple months ago. And the title of the talk was How to Be a Successful VR Game Studio. And my first slide was Don't Be a VR Game Studio. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to be super harsh. And I think people did take it in the right, in the right spirit of humor. But, um, but what I was trying to say was, like, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a studio and you're trying to tie yourself to this, partic to this one particular platform right now and do that at, at any kind of scale – like obviously that's incredibly difficult. And to your point, you've seen studios go out of business or have, have, have tremendous struggle getting that to work. It can, it can, it can work. There are enough consumers out there to support small indie teams developing VR and still, you know, be able to support themselves. But, 
But VR actually demands, you know, a, a fairly significant investment to create. I mean, it's, it's, it's a unique platform that way. Like you can make a mobile game uh, and you can have a tiny team and you can create the next Angry Birds. But that's and, and there, I think there probably are a couple experiences like that in VR, a couple opportunities like that in VR. But a lot of the things that people are looking for as consumers in VR tend to be really rich, really high fidelity experiences. And, th and those things take large teams to build. And I, I, I don't think going straight at that as, as, the, as doing that only, creating a VR only experience with a large team, obviously is not a sustainable thing in, in the current environment. It may be in the future, but, but, I, but the thing that I was trying to, to say in that talk was just, you know, it's kind of uh, preaching our own mission or our own vision to people, but it, it's like, don't, don't do that. Focus on, again, on the stories you wanna tell, the characters you wanna create, and if VR can be a piece of that, great, but but be realistic about about what's happening in VR and the fact that it is on this slower trajectory. Um, and uh, and if you focus on a different set of priorities, then VR can be a piece of that of that strategy, like it is for us, right? But <clears throat> but it doesn't it, it doesn't have to be a, a live or die thing based on whether VR is going to completely take off overnight. Fair enough. I guess I guess the concerns raised recently, you know, because of CCP closing, because of all space closing a while back, like I guess the concern is that hang on, if the pioneers, the people who first got into VR, are giving up on the technology, should everyone else be? I mean, do you think we'll see more of the the kind of early adopters in terms of developers? Do you think we'll see more of them pulling out of VR, or do you do you think most people kind of stick to their guns and keep keep going? I, yeah, I don't think we're done seeing that, um, but. I also would really caution folks on on looking at that and saying, "Well, see, that signals the death of VR." Mm -hmm. No, no, it really doesn't. What it does is it it's 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 very typical in in uh, in the life cycle of emerging technologies like this. It's always the case that there are um, efforts that are a little bit ahead of their time or a little bit ahead of that curve, um, and and if they're not timed exactly right, uh, then you know, they can kind of starve, starve themselves in terms of waiting for that market to show up. But that doesn't mean that the market itself isn't still on a growth trajectory. Like that would be the thing that, that would, I think, be incorrect to take away from, from what's been happening in some of these closures, as you mentioned, uh, is a conclusion of like, oh, well, that means I guess VR was, it flared up and it's going to go away now. Like, no, because the, the experiences that you can have when you have all the properly set up VR, you know, pieces and you've got your room scale set up and you've got your headset on with its 4 million wires coming out of it and you've got your high-end PC and all these things. Like when you do all that work and you spend all that money to set it up, the experiences are trans are transcendent. They're they're like you, you literally can't find a person on earth who you would show that to and their jaw doesn't just hit the floor and they're like, oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. That's not ever going to change. Like that's what VR can do. The things that are going to change are the things that have been holding it back or, or will, you know, continue to, to, to those barriers will continue to come down price form factor, how comfortable the experience is, you know, like these, these things that, that do get in the way of a, of a kind of casual audience enjoying those experiences right now, those things are on an aggressively, uh, solvable timeframe right now. And a lot of money, as I mentioned, is being poured into solving those problems. So, uh, and when they do, um, and when that, like, then you will see that, that sort of knee of the curve of adoption with these technologies. And, you know, I, I think we also get a little too hung up on thinking, well, it's all about VR or, but, but really like what's coming in the future is a series of devices 
that won't necessarily make a distinction between VR or AR or mixed reality. It'll just be one headset that can do all of those things. And it's just dependent on whether you want to turn off the lights or not <laughs> like, you know, to have a fully immersed experience or whether you want to have a partially immersed experience where only half of your room is the game and the other half is reality. So you can kind of walk back and forth between them or whatever, like all these things are coming. And when they do, and when those barriers come down, this will be the most ubiquitous, most powerful platform we've ever made games for. And from my perspective, I look at it like, like it, so it's totally not a question of if. All those things I just mentioned are only a question of when. And I feel like everything in my career has literally been just warm up for this moment that's coming. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy because I've been making games for like 20 years, but 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 honestly, when I when I am envision the platforms that will be here in five years, seven years, um, and again, not a question of if, just when, those platforms are the ultimate delivery mechanism for the kind of interactive entertainment that I've been building my whole life, it, it, it makes the technology, it's going to make the technology totally disappear. It won't be like that you have to view my, the, the, the games that we create through a little screen or that you even hold a controller or anything like that. It's literally just going to be that our games are coming to life in the world around you and you can just reach out and touch them. And all, all of the layers of abstraction and barriers to, to, uh, you know, people interacting with the content are going to completely fall away. And, and, and at that moment, you'll see things like the first billion player game and, and other things like that. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible, this future we're heading towards. That's a rather upbeat note to end on. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for your time today. That was fantastic. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay. Um, Super Lucky Tale obviously is out alongside the Xbox One X on November 7th. Star Child is out at some point. We don't know when. Next year. <laughs> next year. Next year. Um, yeah. In the meantime, uh, you can find all of your games industry news and analysis at gamesindustry.biz. Mm-hmm.